last Sabbath in 1 John. So let's open up our Bibles and just get right into it. We're doing the closing thoughts of 1 John. And as you've noticed, as you've read the different epistles in the New Testament, a lot of times at the end of the letter, there are several thoughts that get put in there. And sometimes you may have a hard time seeing the connection between one thought and the next. And maybe there isn't a definite connection, but they're all definitely important thoughts. Uh, otherwise, the, the apostle wouldn't have included them. So we're in 1 John chapter 5. Last week, as we were in our study, we were talking about the issue of assurance. And last week, we saw very clear, clearly, very plainly from God's word, we as believers, if we have accepted Jesus into our life, can have the assurance of eternal life. Amen? We can say, I am saved, through Jesus I am being saved, and in heaven, someday soon I will be saved. Saved from the presence uh, and the power totally of sin. Um, so, we ended in verse 13, and we're going to read verse 13 again as we roll on into verse 14. Today I'm reading from the New King James Version. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. We can have confidence in Jesus for our salvation. And now in verse 14, we shift to a different type of confidence. Because of our assurance in Jesus, we can have a different type of confidence or assurance in prayer. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Maybe sometime you've felt like when you've been praying, you're just praying and your words are staying in the room that you're in and that nobody's listening. John says just the opposite. If you're praying in God's will, you can know for a certainty that your prayers are being heard. You ever been on the phone with somebody? You're on your cell phone uh, or, or otherwise, and you're, you're, you're talking, and you keep talking and talking and talking. You're discussing some topic that's of interest to you, or you're explaining something, or you're telling a story, and then you finish your story, and there's just silence <laughs> on the line. And you're thinking, wait, did I offend them? Did they, what, what happened? And then you say, hello? hello, and then you look at your phone, and the call had ended. And you don't know how long you've been talking to yourself because the, the service dropped out. And so then you call them back and you say, hey, wh what was I saying last? And they said, oh, you were saying, I want to tell you a story. And then, okay, well, or sometimes it happens when you're, I've been praying with someone on the phone and then, you know, they don't hear the whole prayer and then it's like, okay, do I pray that same prayer again? Well, God heard it, but they didn't hear it. And, you know, what do you do? Sometimes you don't have assurance that people on the phone are hearing you. But John says, if we pray according to God's will, we can know that he's hearing us. Now, what does it mean by hear us? Hear. God always hears our prayer, even if it's not his will, right? The word hear uh, is more along the lines of there's action that corresponds with the hearing. So the big question then is, how do we know what God's will is so we can pray according to his will, right? Because I want my prayers to be heard. How about you? 
we could do a whole sermon series on knowing God's will, but there are some things that we can know without even thinking about it that are certainly in God's will to pray for. Can you think of any biblical examples, things that we're told to pray for, invited to pray for? Uh, we're invited to ask for like the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit. So if you are praying and asking for the Holy Spirit, you can know guaranteed God wants to answer that prayer with a yes. What about praying for the salvation of your friends and your family members and God to do things in their life to bless them? Do you think that's a part of God's will? Is he saying, uh, I don't know if I want to try and reach them. Uh, I have to think about that. No, you can know. If you're praying for your lost family member, you can know God will do something. Now, he's not going to force them to give their life to him, but he's going to do things in their life to try and influence them to be open to his invitation. What about prayer for forgiveness? We saw in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, well, how do we do that? We do that in prayer. We don't do it to a person, although sometimes we need to ask for forgiveness, confess our faults to one another. But we're doing that in prayer. If we do that, we can know that God hears us, and it's his will to forgive us. Amen? It's his will. There are certain things that are just very, very clear. Say, God, I want to grow. I need strength to resist temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There's no temptation that has overtaken us, such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and with every temptation, what will he provide? A way of escape, a way out. You can know it's God's will for you to escape temptation, and he will act. So you can think on more and make your own list of things that are just guaranteed. But then beyond that, God will impress us if we are abiding in him. And sometimes he impresses us to pray for things that we wouldn't have thought to pray for. I remember when I was at Southern, um, Joel, did you ever have Dr. Saman? Yep. Yep, okay. Philip Saman. Maybe some of you have read some of his books. Christ's Method of Prayer, Christ's Method of Witnessing, Christ's Method. He wrote some good books. Uh, but Dr. Saman was telling us a story, or he was telling someone a story, and I heard the story. He was, he was praying with somebody, uh, or praying about somebody who was in a toxic relationship. And... He, he just knew this guy was bad news for this gal. And all of a sudden, he's, he's abiding, he's connected to God. All of a sudden, he starts praying things that he wouldn't normally think of. He's like, Lord, you know this isn't a good relationship for so-and-so, and, and you know that she needs to break it off with him today. God, I pray that she will grab his stuff and, 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 and open the window and throw it out the window. Uh, God, just help her to throw it out onto the sidewalk, onto the street. And that very day, that exact thing happened. Sometimes, if you are abiding in Jesus, he will impress you for things to pray for. I was skiing in, in Keystone, Colorado. I was going up the chairlift one day. And I'm sitting next to my dad, and all of a sudden, I feel impressed. Oh, I need to pray for this certain family, people who used to live down the street from us. So I say, hey, Dad, can I have a prayer for this family? And he says, sure. Just randomly. Uh, we pray, and this isn't a credit to me, this is a credit to the Holy Spirit, 
But that day, that lady received a phone call from the church. I didn't even know she used to be a member. And they said, hey, we're doing some meetings. We want some help with the registration. Would you come help us? That day that I'm randomly impressed to pray, she answers the phone. She says, sure, I'll help. She goes to the meetings, and she recommits her life to Jesus in baptism. Not to, not to credit me. All I did was say, okay, I'll pray for that. It was God's will to work in their life. So if we want to pray prayers that God will hear, we want to know what his will is. And the best way to know his will is to read his word and to be connected to Jesus. That's an assurance that we can have, a confidence that we can have. He hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we have asked of him, have we just been talking about. So speaking of prayer, then the apostle moves on to verse 16, something else to pray about. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All sin, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, if you were like me, when you read these words, you're like, huh? <laughs> Wait, hold, hold the phone here. <laughs> I think I missed something. Could you go back? And to be honest with you, you can read the commentaries, and one commentator will say this, and another commentator will say this, that there, there is some scholarly debate or, or just differing opinions about what exactly is going on here. But I think, uh, I think we can come to some very basic conclusions. So there's two types of sin mentioned in these verses. Sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. You see that? Is that part clear so far? All right. So uh, the question is, what kind of death are we talking about here? Uh, is that a, like if I sin by driving recklessly and then I crash my car and I die? Is that what's being talked about here, a sin leading to death? Um, or is it more like, in eternal death? That's kind of the, one of the questions we need to answer here. And, and we could debate it, we can go back and forth. I suspect, and I think there's good support for this, we're talking more of the sins that lead to eternal death. Uh, ultimately, we live on a planet where we all will die. Uh, and, it, and all of it is related to, to sin, our sin, and, and uh, just having this sinful condition. But probably what's being talked about here is eternal death. So, so John says that there are sins that can lead somebody, uh, but then they will, basically they will repent and they won't die eternally for them. And then there are people who are in a life of sin, they get swept up into sin, and they don't repent. And they become hardened by their sin. And they got on this fast track uh, to what we would call the unpardonable sin, where God will forgive their sin, but they don't want it to be forgiven. And so they don't confess their sins. And so God can't forgive that sin. And ultimately, it ends in their eternal ruin. Because we saw earlier in 1 John, 1 John 1, 9, as we quoted, if we confess our sins, God will do what? He'll forgive us, Right? And it doesn't have a clause there if we confess our sin, except for the sin I'm about to mention a couple chapters later. 
God will forgive you. No, no, no. He just says sin in general. Uh, in fact, if you look in Greek in 1 John 5, related to this sin, uh, there's no definite article. It's just, it could be a sin or just committing sin in general. If there was a sin that was so specific and so horrible that God couldn't forgive it, would you expect John to explain what it is to us? Yeah. He would say, above all else, make sure that you don't eat papaya. Because if you do, you will be lost. Right. Nothing wrong with papaya. I just don't really like it that much. Uh, I like it when it's dried and has syrup, uh, you know, dried with it. But anyways, one time I liked it in Cuba. All right, so you would expect if there was some heinous sin that couldn't be forgiven, John would point it out. But he doesn't. So, you know, the same is true with Christ's word about the unpardonable sin. Sometimes people think that's one particular sin. The sin that can't be forgiven is the sin that we don't confess, the sin that we don't want to ask for forgiveness of, the sin that we don't repent of. We think about some examples in the Bible. Saul, Saul sinned, first king of Israel. Part of his sin was just disregarding God's command. I mean, he did this multiple times. Uh, and continued to, to shut out the Holy Spirit. But he was ultimately rejected as king because he wouldn't follow God. And to the best of our knowledge, he never repented of that. He became more and more hardened in sin, and ultimately, it appears that Saul died a lost man. Say, uh, and then comes along David. David committed some really, really bad sins. All sin is bad. But he killed somebody, took the guy's wife. But David is mentioned as someone who will be saved. Why will David be saved? Because he repented and asked for forgiveness. He accepted the grace and mercy extended by God. Two different people, two different responses. It's not so much the magnitude of sin, but it's our attitude towards sin that's so dangerous. And so the apostle says, hey, if you see your brother or your sister sinning, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God will give them a, a converted heart that they'll want to repent of their sin. It doesn't say condemn them, by the way. It just says pray for them. Right? Pray for them. And then he's saying, I'm not talking about the people that are, that are so Im embedded in sin that they're never turning back and they're not turning around. I'm not talking about praying for them although he doesn't forbid us not to pray for those people, right? He's just saying, the focus I'm talking about here are, are people who, a brother, somebody who, you know, in the church, but they fall into sin, pray for them. And certainly, we can pray for everybody, right? Including people who are hardened in sin. But that wasn't his focus. And so he, he wasn't, sometimes the language, depending on your translation, is a little confusing there. But the emphasis is not on um, the totally hardened criminal, the totally hardened sinner that doesn't want to repent. Because the reality is, even they could repent. It's possible. While there's still life, there's still time, and there's still hope. And we also don't know who's at that point. So the best practice is probably just to pray for everybody, right? Because we don't know where we're at. So number one, we see that if we 
are praying in God's will, He will hear us. We can have confidence in that. And we can know it's God's will for us to pray for people who are sinners just like you and me. Do you need prayer in your life? Man, if you don't need prayer, you might not be breathing. I tell people, I never turn down prayer or breath mints because there's a good chance I always need both of them. So we should pray for one another. Now verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We talked about these themes earlier. The importance of abiding. John's not saying that people who are following Jesus will never fall into sin because he says if we sin, we have an advocate. He says if we confess our sins, he'll forgive our sins. But he's pointing out the seriousness of sin. And as believers, we shouldn't be content to allow sin to be in our life. As believers, if we are going to abide in Jesus, you can't be abiding and sinning like the devil at the same time. Those two things don't go together. The reality is, our struggle is not so much against sin in life. Our struggle is to stay connected, to keep on abiding. Because if we're abiding and loving Jesus and being loved by Him, we're not going to want to love the things that put Jesus on the cross. And so again, as we're wrapping up here this morning, the Apostle reminds us of this powerful reality that Christians should take sin seriously. We take the salvation and forgiveness of Jesus seriously, and we take His invitation to abide in Him and come out of the old ways of sin we take that seriously and we press on. And it's cool because it says that the one who keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. Do you want to be safe from the wicked one? Stay connected to Jesus. It's like when, when little kids get afraid, sometimes they just want to be right next to their parents, grabbing onto their leg, in their arms, holding on because there's safety and security there. If we realized the spiritual dangers in our world, we would be much more eager to stay abiding with Jesus day by day, knowing that the wicked one can't touch us, can't hurt us um, in a permanent sense while we are connected with Jesus. Not saying that we'll never have problems, uh, but he can never snatch us away when we are connected and abiding in Jesus. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Whose sway do you want to be under? Whose influence do you want your life to be controlled by? The wicked one or the holy one? It's our choice. And, and our choices are demonstrated, or, or that choice is demonstrated by the small choices that we make throughout our day. We say in church, yes, I want to abide in Jesus. Well, then make that practical in your life. Think about your choices. What are you doing in your life to either affirm that choice to abide in Jesus or to not affirm that choice? It's really easy. Like if I want to get to San Diego, if I want to drive to San Diego, I can decide right now to drive to San Diego, but I got to hop in my car and I need to start making some turns. Because just deciding to go there doesn't get me there, right? So in Christianity, 
We may say, I want to follow Jesus, but the big question that we have and we should have with every sermon and every time we read our Bible is how can I apply this to my life right now? What's the next step for me? If I want to get to San Diego, my next step is to get in my car. First, I have to get my keys, which are in my, somewhere else. <laughs> Here at my desk. I don't like jingling as I'm walking around right now. And then I've got to decide, okay, which way do I turn? Do I go left or right out of the park? Okay, and then which way do I want to go? And the little choices get me to San Diego, not the single choice. Right? So as you go on with your week, as you start a new week, you've said, yes, I want to abide in Jesus. Yes, I don't want to be under the sway of the wicked one. Start analyzing your little choices. Because that will either help or hinder your goal. And I can't tell you what your little choices should be because I'm not living your life. And I don't know what you'll be faced with. Is that making sense, though? We've got to make the, the word practical to our life. Not just inspirational, but something that we can take that inspiration and turn it into the everyday choices of our life. So John says we can have confidence in our God when we ask in His will. We can pray and should pray for people who are in sin. And sin is serious. Sin is serious. He says, if you're a Christian, verse 18, you should take seriously God's call to abide and to resist and turn away from sin. You know, I read something uh, in a commentary this week. They were quoting Blaise Pascal. He was a 17th century philosopher. And he said something really powerful. Let's see if you agree with me or with him. He said, all men, all people seek happiness. How are we doing so far? Okay, basically everybody wants to be happy. There may be the rare exception, but basically everyone wants to be happy. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and the cause of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attending with different views. So some wars are caused because people want to be happy and they think that war will make them happy through what they hope to accomplish through war. Others say, no, 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 we don't want war because that will make us happy. And then he continues, the will never takes the least step but to this objective of being happy. This is the very motive of every man, even those who hang themselves. Blaise Pascal says, even people who kill themselves, they're just wanting to be free. They're wanting to be happy ultimately. And, and maybe we could debate that even more. But the big idea is everybody wants to be happy. Do you want to be happy? I want to be happy. Now listen to the conclusion that the author makes here. This being the case, since we all want to be happy, all people would choose to obey God in all things if they truly believed that such obedience brought joy, as the scriptures say it will. So if you really want to be happy, the Bible says the greatest joy comes from following God. So if we choose not to follow God, we are choosing the path against true happiness. Either because we don't believe what God says or because we don't care. This is powerful. Do you want to be happy? Sometimes you have to play for endgame happiness. 
because your goal maybe is to work out, get stronger, get healthier, you're not always happy when you hit the gym, right? I have a witness. But you've got the end game happiness, which is being more happy in your body and able to do more things physically. And so the Bible sometimes has the end game happiness in mind. Yes, there is struggle. But the Bible says if you struggle through with Jesus, you're going to be so much happier than if you go the easy path with the devil. Not only are we talking about heaven, of course, heaven will be happy, but Jesus said, there are a hundred times benefit. Now in this time, Jesus says, and then, oh, by the way, you get eternal life also. The Christian life is filled with heartbreak, but it's filled with so much happiness that comes from following the will of God. So the apostle says, the whole world's under the sway of the wicked one, but I don't want to be under his sway. Now verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. Jesus came so that we could know him. Greek word gnosko. Not just intellectual knowledge. This is a knowledge that is experiential. He came so that we could know him as our friend. Know him as the one that we abide with, the one that helps us, the one that hears us. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. John reminding us again in his letter, he's talking about Jesus against the heresies that were talking about the false Jesus. He was trying to remind us who the true Jesus is and that the true Jesus wants to know us. And then he concludes with a little bit of an odd conclusion. Little children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. Amen. What's that all about? Keep yourself from idols. Odd way. Try that next time you're leaving your family. Bye, I love you. Keep yourself from idols, okay? And then leave. Might make them think. It may seem like a strange ending, but really, as we've just mentioned, John's purpose is to tell people about the true Jesus. And what's an idol? An idol is a representation, it's a false god. A lot of times, we make idols in our life because we can't handle the reality of who God actually is. So if we have an idol, whether it's literal or figurative, it's a lot smaller and it's a lot more easy to handle. A couple weeks ago, I showed you some of the idols, like the Baal idol. I didn't show you the Asherah idol because it's, uh, she was the goddess of fertility. And uh, anyways, it wasn't appropriate for all ages. <laughs> Just, we're not ready for that. But we make these idols because it's easy to put God on a shelf, in a box. We're more comfortable with that than the ultimate being in the universe. That's who John was trying to present to us. The reality of Jesus as God, Messiah, Savior, Redeemer. He says, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from anything that isn't the real Jesus. Whether that is, as he said earlier in the book, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the love of the world, etc., 
etc., or the false teachings of the heretics in his day or in our day. John says, stay the course, keep yourselves from idols, keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. So before we close this morning in prayer, I want you to take a moment in your own mind to think, okay, I just heard this, we just saw it, now what can I do to apply it in my life? What's a, what's a simple step I can take today? It may have something to do with prayer. It may have something to do with choices you're making in your life. Maybe it has to do with um, getting to know the true Jesus better in your devotional time. Or it may have something totally unrelated. But take 30 seconds in your own heart and mind to think about a choice, an action step, a next step. Uh, and then I'll close with a prayer. Dear Father, I'm not sure what you're saying to each one of us, but I'm thankful that you have given us your word. Such a, a clear uh, revelation of your will for our lives. We're thankful that as we talk to you, we know that you hear us. Lord, I pray that you'll hear our prayers that we'll be praying to you today and each day this week. We have people in our lives that we want to pray for, people who may not even realize it, but they're swept up in the things that are, are harmful and hurtful, the sins of the wicked one. And I pray that you will rescue them, redeem them, so that these sins don't lead to that ultimate death. Lord, I pray that you can show us uh, our own lives truly in areas of our own heart that need your healing, your touch, your cleansing. Lord, if we have idols in our life, help expose them, however painful it might be, and show us your path forward. Show us practical steps today we can take to follow your voice. Thank you for First John. Thank you for your word. And we love you and we thank you. Let all God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath. And uh, we'll see you really soon, I hope.